Hello everyone, it's Aisha here from God FM. Hope you're all having an amazing day today. It's God's Sabbath day. And yeah, we are all glorified. And uh, may we all give praise to our Lord. It's a really hot day in England. Um, <laughs> the weather's very, very warm indeed. And uh, I wanted to play that to you because that's kind of how I feel at the moment. Don't cry for me, Argentina. It's such an amazing song. And uh, I really like the Pan Pipe version. So I wanted to play that to you. I think it's very beautiful. So yes, um, today I wanted to go through some of the um, books that the Lord's brought to me to look at today with you. Um, <laughs> so what have we got? We have I Am With You and we also have That's a Book, by the way, uh, by John Woolley. And then we also have um, A Young Puffin, The Young Puffin Book Bible Stories told by Pat Alexander. And then I've also got A Ladybird's Easy Reading Book Stories About Children of the Bible. Then I've also got The Fruit of the Spirit by Kenneth Mackenzie. And I've also got <laughs> The Child of the Temple, which is a ladybird book. And then I've also got The Life of Our Lord, which is a really old book. Um, I'll just try and find out who wrote this. I often buy these old books at the, um, at the shops and they sit on my shelf and I don't read them. That was fifty at the moment, so I've just been so busy. But this one is uh, by Blackie and Sun Limited. So um, I'm going to start with this one, I think. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, so in the world at the moment, it is strange. <laughs> okay. Um, the world, as you know it, is not the same as it used to be. A lot of people are going through a lot of things. I want you to know that you're not alone. We're all going through trials and tests of one kind or another. I am certainly going through my own uh, set of tests. And it's, uh, yes, it's not always very pleasant to go through these tests um, because you know, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's like um, death in the family, a divorce, moving, all of those are very stressful things. What's happened in the world, I believe, in 2020, it's like 2020 vision, and the Lord woke a lot of people up to what's going on. And, and as I was uh, saying to my daughter the other day, she said, she wakes people up, you see, and then their lives change and they don't want to do the same things anymore because your priorities change when you start to realize what the world's about. And so anyway, <laughs> she was saying, Mom, this couple, they've completely changed. This young boy has completely changed his priorities, couldn't give a damn about anything in the world anymore. And so... <clears throat> Abstixon is leaving, you know, these are the things that happen 
when you realise what's going on in the world, your priorities change. And she was saying, oh, she said, I think it's my fault. I said, well, it's not your fault. I said, what I spent 20 years teaching you, most people don't know. What I've been talking about, all these weird things, I've always been on the ball about what's going on in some way. Um, talking about pyramids, hidden technology, the history of the world not being what we have been told, all sorts of things like this. It's all very interesting. I find it fascinating, actually. <coughs> but it all means nothing without the Lord. So I guess that's where, you know, with the 2020, what's happened, um, we can now look at the world as it is and we can prioritize. And we need to put the Lord first. He says that if you put me first, I'll give you all the desires of your hearts. So, and the other thing to remember is in the final days, in the judgment, when the Lord judges the people, and the saints will also be there judging the people. The saints cannot judge people unless they have complete understanding of what people are made of and how they are motivated by the desires of the flesh and the lusts that we get. So this is why I think we're tested. It's not pleasant. It isn't. I don't like it. You probably don't like it. But I want you to know that the Lord loves you and he loves me. He has really big plans for us. I believe we're very near to the end. I don't even know how many real people are in the world. I don't even know if this world is what we think it is. I think it could be a non-reality because the children of God are called Israel. And we've got to read the Bible, which is called the ghost spell. Um, and we've, you know, we can't live on bread alone, which is be read. Um, and we must be ready. Read why. So I think all the words, because Jesus is the word, all connects. The truth will set us free. That's what Jesus says. So I believe that. Sorry about the motorbikes. It always happens when I'm doing my, my sermons. <laughs> so I believe this as well. So Jesus sets us free through the truth. So I'm going to open this book, I Am With You, by John Woolley, and just see what I get um, and what page we fall on. If we can get around that noisy motorbike. Mm. Ah, so this one is chosen to become in Christ his holy and blameless children in Ephesians 1 colon 4. My child, you may feel that you are not carrying all before you. In the worldly sense, this may be true, but having sought me, you can be sure that my spirit is actually at work in you. My spirit is taking you forward, and it is always the best way forward. Never doubt my power to keep you on the course which leads to oneness with me. 
keeping your heart towards me, you realize that I am freeing you from all the holds which evil has upon you. My promises are all for you. Make sure that they are claimed. Look often at my creation, its beauty and order. See evil as an intruder to take away human happiness and to turn hearts away from me. See the march of my creative and loving purposes as quite unaffected by the evil activities which I permit in order to increase your dependence on me. So beautiful, isn't it? That's so relevant to me and uh, I hope it's relevant to you. Next part of this book is, it was the lost that the Son of Man came to seek and to save in Luke 19, colon 10. How I grieve to see so many of my children led in various paths away from safety and away from me. Because there is real freedom of will, I cannot always enforce a return to safety, but I do pursue. I never tire in making possible a choice to be made to return home. I pursue in far wanderings from my way. I also pursue when one of my children, as yourself, wanders even slightly into danger. This is why you feel the uneasiness, the loss of peace, which accompanies the straying from my way. My child, rejoice that there is now in you instinctively the desire to return quickly to me when losing the sense of my presence and a sense of purposeful direction in which you were traveling. Next heading. Abraham trusted God and when God told him to leave home, away he went, not even knowing where he was going. In Hebrews 11 colon 8, you have found that there is a great gulf between expressions of trust and even those genuine feelings of trust and the launching out in trust. You have been growing in the knowledge that I am in control and that my purpose are invincible. Sometimes when this is put to the test, occasions when evil challenges you, you show the incompleteness of that trust. It is a wonderful victory for you when, full of misgivings about being able to act in a new way on this occasion, you trust my invincibility and do so. Trust is at the very center of all spiritual progress, as I have told you. Trust must cover not only my general ordering of your future and your safety in me, it must also cover those fierce everyday conflicts with the old ways where so often there is a compromise rather than victory. My child, act trustingly always. All that opposes me in the, your life will increasingly surrender to my presence. I want you to know that I have been up against a battle, incredible battle against the enemy, an incredible attack. And the Lord is victorious. 
and very gracious and mighty and majestic and clever and faithful and full of love and kindness and grace and peace and joy and uh, if you are in a challenging time I want you to know that no matter how bad it is you can have peace and joy in the companionship of the Lord you just have to surrender it over to the Lord you have to admit that you are a sinner and that you can't do this on your own and that you need him to help you and then he can help you I think this is very beautiful turn this down a bit so the other thing is the Lord does allow us to go through these things and it's sometimes hard for us to understand why and I believe it's because he can glorify himself through all of the things that the evil one does and all of its demons and they come under the same sort of blanket of darkness and they surround you with dark, fierce, nasty comments, remarks. You know, this is another thing I found. You can always know that you're going to be under attack or you're under attack when people know things about you or they speak to you as if, you know, they know so much about you. That's because they are possessed by demons and they know all of your weaknesses because Satan prowls like a lion all the time looking for your weaknesses looking for you to not believe for you to believe you're not good enough to believe that you're a failure let me tell you something you're not a failure if you're under trial and a test it's because God has seen it worthy for you to go through that trial because he's going to promote you he's going to glorify his holy name in you promise just got to believe me believe in the lord like when you've got all of this going on you know with all the challenges and everything else the lord it's going to be so amazing will glorify his holy name through all of these things and all your enemies will be like nothing just as it says in the bible not only that the lord will hold them to accounts I believe this. I trust the Lord. He says, hand your burdens to me. My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And he also says to be still and don't do anything. Just sit and watch. Okay? Once you've surrendered it to God, you've got to trust the Lord. That's why this sermon is called Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. Because in our trials, it can lead us to a position where we feel sorry for ourselves and we can have pity me parties and I don't want you to do that. Um, you can obviously come to the Lord and surrender it and confide in him that you're not coping or whatever else. And he'll take all of that and he'll give you peace in, in your heart. This is what I found with the Lord. Very merciful, very kind, very loving and gracious <laughs> in this way. Okay, let's find another section of this book. 
and see if we get something. Diddly dee. Here we go. This is so relevant. Two sections, two bits here. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord in Psalm 27, 14. My child, I just want you to know these things. As you wait upon me now, nothing can destroy my love for you. Not even your sins and failures. Nothing can affect my plans for you. I will never fail you. No matter what circumstances arise, I know your present need so intimately and I want to meet that need so very much. You are sure about my conquest in the world. Thank me for it frequently. See my hand in all that happens in a complex and distressing situation once you have, with your whole heart, given that situation to me. And that's from Psalm 27:14. Now I've got the next one that's really good. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy in John 16:20. My child, try to see in the midst of life's trials not merely the calmer waters which you feel must be beyond them. Try also to see those trials as actually serving to throw into sharper relief the period of sunshine and gratitude to me, which must follow. I have told you that the agonizing periods of existence, those which almost make you lose your hold on me, are seen by me as serving a very relevant purpose for you. Otherwise, I would have not permitted them. Life sorrows, although not willed by me, are constantly used to create what is ultimately noble and strong of the heavenly sphere. Those sorrows give deeper meaning to the great miracle of existence itself, the miracle that I am, and that this is a universe in which my love will triumph. Next section here is, Though he slays me, Yet will I hope in him in Job 13:15. There is always a crucial time in the building of a relationship with myself. Forces opposed me to me will do their utmost to instill the suggestion that trust in me has been misplaced and need not be pursued. Many have abandoned a life with me at this point or have wasted many subsequent years before I have been able to woo them back to myself. It is, a vit it is vital that those early stages of trust in me are built upon. It is vital that delusionment is firmly rejected because not far ahead is the gift from me of the kind of trust which is unshakable. My child, guard against even momentary doubt of me by what you are and what you are, what you say concerning me. Help many to persevere in the one trust which proves to be life's answer. Yes, whoever maintains trust in me has life. It is only when a sense of closeness is, for the moment, lost that there is a realization of how unique is that possession. 
Next section, laid aside his mighty power and glory, becoming like men in Philippians 2 colon 7. My child, you see in my self-emptying, culminating in the cross, the sacrifice which you may often be called upon to make, laying aside knowledge and pride, and becoming as a child in that humble state, prepared to be exploited, prepared to lose. See in myself emptying and tremendous lengths to which love will go on behalf of its children. This too is your pattern. It is when you are emptied of self, all that is world acquired, that you can most effectively reflect me. My self-emptying made it possible for me to be approached, for my children to expect understanding. I could only hope to meet my children at the level of their need by letting go everything but love. My child, for you this will be costly, but there is no other way. I think we're done with that one for now. <laughs> Beautiful though, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Now I've got another one, it's called The Bible Code, Finding Jesus in Every Book in the Bible, a special edition. And uh, let me see who's written this book. Two seconds. Ah, by uh, Hawkins. It's funny handwriting, so I can't read the name. Okay, G.S. Hawkins, I think it is. Finding Jesus in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. <laughs> Proverbs 4, colon 7. For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. Ecclesiastes 2, colon 26. King Solomon is purported to be the wisest man who ever lived. He left us the Old Testament books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Wisdom is the common thread woven through the words of these books. In the 31 chapters of Proverbs, we find the words wise or wisdom 113 times. And in Ecclesiastes, 12 brief chapters, we find these words 49 times. Wisdom is the theme that permeates and penetrates every page of these books of wisdom. The Apostle Paul revealed that Christ became for us wisdom from God. In 1 Corinthians 1 colon 30, even more explicitly, he referred to Christ as the wisdom of God. In verse 24, we find Jesus here in the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. He is our wisdom. We live in a world where knowledge is literally at our fingertips and exploding at an exponential pace. <laughs> Bear with me. The internet brings to everyone instant information of global events in the real time. Many of today's textbooks are obsolete and out of date before the print is even dry. With just the click of a mouse, we have access to more knowledge through numerous computer search engines than at any time in history. Well, that's what they claim. I believe we, we already had this technology anyway. Mm -hmm. Yet wisdom seems practically non-existent. L lives are in shambles. Position, power and prosperity have not brought the peace and purpose they promised. 
There is a stark difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. With dedication and determination, anyone can accumulate facts. What we need today is wisdom, the ability to take those facts, discern them, and put them into practice to address our needs in real-life situations. Before Solomon ever penned Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, at not yet 20 years of age, he was about to be crowned king of Israel. It would be no small task to follow in the steps of his father, King David. One of the most dynamic and successful leaders in all human history, but when God asked Solomon a rather pointed question, what shall I give you? 1 Kings 3 colon 5, the young man had the right answer. His priorities were in the right order. He didn't have to ponder or think long and hard about his answer. Right away, he requested, give to your servant an understanding heart that I may discern between good and evil. In verse 9, Solomon's desire was for the wisdom that is from above, not the wisdom of this world. So his simple request was for wisdom. Years later, when penning one of his proverbs, Solomon wrote, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Proverbs 4, colon 7. Unfortunately, in the midst of the unrestrained power, Solomon's focus began to ever so slowly change. When he became an old man, bitterness filled his heart. He wrote Ecclesiastes to show us the folly of many of the things we deem so important or even essential, such things as learning, laughter, liquor, luxury and lust. Then he arrived at his ultimate conclusion, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Ecclesiastes 12.8 The last chapter of Ecclesiastes paints a picture of an old man whose heart could no longer hear from God. And so his final appeal to us was this, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come. In verse 1, Solomon concluded Ecclesiastes with what he called the conclusion of the whole matter. And his final word, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil, in verse 14, truth always wins in the end, and Jesus is the truth and the wisdom of God. Christ Jesus is our wisdom. James in the New Testament said that this heavenly wisdom is from above, in James 3, colon 17. Hmm. So, oh yes, this is lovely. Finding Jesus in the Songs of Solomon. He is our bridegroom. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. My beloved is mine and I am his. Song of Solomon 2 colon 4 to 16. So what else can I tell you? Let's see what else we can find in here. <laughs> We can find a Jesus in Zephaniah. He is the Lord, mighty to save. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. 
He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. In Zephaniah 3, 17. Zephaniah was blessed to live in a day when God had visited his people in Judah with genuine revival under the reign of good king Josiah. His word was one of hope and encouragement pointing to the Lord who was mighty to save, resulting in much rejoicing and singing. Zephaniah helped the people look forward to the day when God would send his own son that the world through him might be saved. In John 3, 17, there is one chapter of the Bible that is consumed with fruition of this prophecy of Zephaniah who pointed to the one who was mighty to save and who would rejoice over us with singing. Jesus was the master storyteller in Luke 15. He told three stories. First, he told the story of the shepherd who searched for and found his lost sheep and then exclaimed, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep. Which was last in Luke 15, colon 6. Next, he told the story of the woman who was lost, who had lost a valuable coin, and upon finding it, called to her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. In verse 9. But the best known of all our Lord's parables is the story of commonly referred to as the prodigal son. When the boy who strayed away from home, the father said to the self-righteous older brother, It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is now found in verse 32. This old and often repeated story of the parable of the prodigal son may well be the most misunderstood of all the parables of Jesus. Most every time we hear a sermon or read a devotional from this passage, the wayward son is on center stage. He is the center of attention. The boy took his inheritance left home and headed for the bright lights of the big city. There he threw it all away on wine, woman and song. After an extensive job search, he finally ended up feeding swine a pig pen, in a pig pen. When you think about it, that was not a very good place for a Jewish boy to be. But at last he came to himself in verse 17, and headed home to seek his father's forgiveness. The father saw him coming when he was a long way down the road, and the boy came walking, but the father went running to meet him with open arms, no clenched fists, no pointed fingers, no accusations, just open arms, wide loving forgiveness, open arms. And to echo Zephaniah, the father rejoiced over him with gladness, quieted him with love and threw a party rejoicing over him with singing. But don't miss Zephaniah and Jesus' point. It was the father who really had sent a stage in Jesus' story, not the son. Look at Luke 15, colon 11. Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. Who is the subject of the sentence? Not either of the sons. 
The subject of the sentence and the center of the entire story is the father. Jesus told this story to emphasize the father's faithfulness and his father's love. The story is all about showing us the Lord's never-ending love for each and every one of us. It reveals to us the Lord's heart as he rejoices over one sinner who repents in verse 10. In Zephaniah, Jesus is the Lord who is mighty to save. And the moment we come to him in true repentance, like the prodigal son, he forgives and forgets. Yes, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him in Hebrews 7, 25. Repentance is a change of mind which affects a change in volition, which results in a change of action. First, the prodigal changed his mind. He came to himself, Luke 15, 17. This changed his volition and hear him say, I will arise and go to my father in verse 18. There's emphasis added there. Then we have read, he arose and came to the father in verse 20. And then the rejoicing began, Jesus is mighty to save. The real message of the story is that Jesus at every turn is continually surprising us with his grace and mercy. We may come walking back to him, but he will come running to us, just as Zephaniah's words reveal. He is a merciful, loving, forgiving Savior. We find Jesus right here in Zephaniah. He is the Lord, mighty to save. That really makes me want to cry, you know, because I think a lot of us are going through some things like this, you know, where we're finding out people aren't who they made out to be and family are not as supportive. You know, I found as well, you know, if you've got problems in your life, <coughs> people don't really want to know your problems, you know. Um, they're your problems, you see. And the Lord can't glorify himself if you keep running to other people. He wants you to come to him about it. And so I believe that. So in your trials that you have, the Lord can prove to you his faithfulness and his kindness and what he wants to show you, but also to your enemies so he can glorify his holy name. You know, it's said that when Moses went up the hill, um, and he was writing the Ten Commandments on stone, 40 days and 40 nights. He was glowing, and you could see the Lord's presence just in his glow, because the Lord, you can't look upon the Lord. So, because his light is so bright. So, you know, this is why Jesus says, don't put your light in the cupboard, because we are also lights. Like Jesus, we are emanating the light of Christ to others to bring them to Christ and also to wake people up, to show them the love of Christ, 
we can only demonstrate this in the way we conduct ourselves. But first we have to realize who we are. We have to realize that we are children of God, the most holy God, the most high God. He is our best friend and our Father, and He loves you. He's chosen you for a purpose. He put you here for a purpose. He's counted all your hairs on your head. He knows everything you're thinking about, everything that's going on in your heart, every single worry and every concern. He knows everything about you. But He can't help you unless you come to Him. And so, this is sometimes, I think, why things happen as well. So that you learn to trust God and not in man. Especially at the moment, where people are learning that their family aren't there for them. There's been a lot of division with everything, hasn't there? So, I think this happens in these strange times. <laughs> so, I want you to know that. And if you're under a trial, it's because there's something very important that you're going to have to do for God, I believe. And the more important it is, the bigger the trial is going to be. That's what I think. It was hard to determine exactly. But this is what I think. <laughs> there's another section here which I really like. And this is finding Jesus in Haggai. He is the restorer of our lost heritage. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Why is this so important? Well, I don't know if you're aware of it, but you are the temple of God. So am I. We have to be cut down to shape. And it's not pleasant. Some of us have got rough edges. <laughs> have to be smoothed down. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the pyramids, but those stones are so big, aren't they? And they join together, and they don't seem to have anything joining them. They just slot very neatly one above the other. You couldn't even fit a piece of paper between them. So, in the same way, the Lord wants us to be exactly right to go in the temple. And so, God is raising us now, as in alive, the living, the real, the truth, inside us, who is Christ. Because we have Christ with us. You know, when he left, he said to us, I have to go now. Where I'm going, I will go and build a mansion for you, but I will leave my helper with you, the Holy Spirit, who will help you. 
And so we've got this, guys. We don't actually need anything else. Yeah. I want you to know that. No matter how uh, difficult things are, you have peace and joy and happiness in the Lord. And because the Lord is in control of everything and he put you here for a purpose, he's got you in the palm of his hand and no man can pluck you out. God will perform miracles. And then people will know that God is real. That God is God. So majestic and mighty he is. And so I believe this has to happen in this way. So very beautiful it is. Hmm. So what else can I tell you about? Um. <sighs> See what else we've got in these books then. That's what I think. <laughs> okay. Ah, oh, this is a nice one. Finding Jesus in the second Corinthians. He is the ultimate authority. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be re may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad you know the way i look at it god gave you a body uh, a spirit and a soul so that uh, you have a purpose on earth and you live in a body which is only temporary just like our residence here is only temporary so that's the other thing you've got to consider is that you don't need to worry about this residency because it's only temporary uh, our real residency is with the Lord so it's like putting your energy into dead dead things everything of the flesh dies if you notice okay so we want to live and life is truth about being real so this reality cannot be real because Satan is ruler of this place at the moment. But you have to remember that the Lord is the author of life itself and the book of life. He's also the authority above all authorities. And this means that to execute his will, he will need every letter to be written in the right place because we are letters also within the words because God is the word so together we all make up a body of Christ as the letters and different members of the body just like Paul tells us in Corinthians so if one of us is a finger yeah and we're really not happy to work with a hand then that hand is now handicapped yeah, this is why we need unity in love together. So, this is another reason why I think we go through trials and tests. Because some people really think they are Christians. And so God tests them to see if they really are. Just like he tested Job. And so, you get some people who don't want to agree and they don't want to share love. They, they get really upset and angry and 
that's not part of the Lord. Anger, judgment, holding grudges, being resentful, nasty remarks, comments, uh, all of those sort of things, spying, holding on to old information, repeating all the things you've ever done wrong. Those are all from the enemy. In Christ, you will find only praise and worship and love and unity and grace and kindness. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not, it is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails in 1 Corinthians 13. See, that's very beautiful also. And I believe every word of that. Because if you're picking up from someone that you know, different vibes to love, support, kindness, grace, mercy. If you're picking up any of this sort of resentful anger, nitpicking, rerunning over all the things you've ever done wrong, then that is from the enemy. And there's no, um, there's no way that, uh, they are from Christ. Not yet. They may believe they are. But if you're truly reborn in Christ, then you will change. You have to forgive everybody that's hurt you. Just as Christ has forgiven us. And Christ will come knocking on your door. He's a wonderful God. He really is. He's always there. He walks with us wherever we go. He actually is the one that gives us the words that come out of our mouths because of the Holy Spirit inside us. He says, it's no longer that you that speaks, it is the Holy Spirit inside you. We must trust this. So many times I've had tests and things and the Holy Spirit has warned me of things. I've always tried to listen. The times I haven't listened, I've got myself in real tiswals, and it's not pleasant. Let's see what else this book has got. I'm going to go towards the end now of the book. Hmm. Finding Jesus in Philemon. He's our friend who sticks closer than a brother. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you will, as you would me. But if he was wronged, you, oh, but if he who has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. Hmm. Let's see what else we have. Ah, Jesus is the final word. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the time passed to the fathers by the prophets, 
has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. In Hebrews 1, colon, 1 to 2. The other thing that's very interesting is the word worlds and words. You've got an L in there, and God is the L, and he's also the word. Don't you think that's very interesting? And hearts is an anagram for the earth. So God is love, so this must be a test on the hearts. <laughs> and God is love. So it's all about the heart and purifying your heart. And God does say he purifies us. And I think that's very beautiful. <laughs> oh, I hope you've enjoyed this today. It's really helped me to know that the Lord is with me. There's some beautiful daily verses which I recommend. The Daily Light. And also, if you're unsure, you can always just pop the Bible audio on and just listen to it. Or you can watch it on YouTube. There's the Bible series, which is eight episodes of an hour each episode. And it's absolutely lovely. It just gives you a full understanding of the Bible. I'm just reading a section of The Fruit of the Spirit by Kenneth Mackenzie. On page 31, it tells me, that's uh, chapter 5, the Bible is full of promise of peace, but like all the promises, the meaning of this one grows and develops as the course of revelation proceeds. The primitive meaning is quite general. It is simply prosperity or well-being, but it takes on a color form color from the principal obstacle to prosperity, which in all times has been a course, a curse of war. The ordinary meaning, therefore, in the Old Testament is the cessation of the attacks of external foes. This is noteworthy of the promise of the Masonic age. The Messiah himself will be the Prince of Peace there is no more characteristic promises than that, the peace within the walls of Jerusalem. The blessing of peace in this external sense is one that, alas, we still have to seek, and sometimes to seek in vain. There are in all ages only too many excuses for going to war, and without the guiding hand of the spirit of peace, there is little hope of avoiding it. To maintain peace, it requires a high degree of forbearance, of national unselfishness, of purity of motives. Such qualities are the fruit of the Spirit of God, and we need not be surprised if the rejection of God means sooner or later the rejection of peace. The response to give peace in our time, O Lord, might well be, and take not thy Holy Spirit from us. The peace of the world will never be secure until Christ's Spirit rules in the hearts of men. 
Our prayers for peace must not be dictated merely by the desires to avoid the hellish destruction, destructiveness and suffering of war, but by the longing that the peaceable wisdom that cometh from above may at last prevail over unregenerative human nature and its instinctive pugnacity. But neither on the material nor on the spiritual level can we hope in this life to be immune from attack from without. In the national sphere we must not pretend that merely because our own disposition is peaceable no one will make war upon us. We have to decide what measure of the spirit of pacifism is essential if we would have a mind which deserves the name of a Christian. Nor in the personal sphere may we suppose that no one will want to quarrel with us or do us harm merely because we ourselves are peaceable, peaceably disposed. Here again, we must try to have some principles in regard to self-defense. The former problem does not arise directly from the study of St. Paul. He is not concerned with the questions of national policy. But for Christians of the present day, the question does arise in a very acute and puzzling form. A Christian must be a man of peace. But how far is this peaceableness to carry him clearly he must not approve a war of aggression beyond this clearness ceases can he approve a war of defense can any war be purely defensive it is not true that once we are engaged in a war our principal strategical and tactical object is to take the offensive again if a man does not approve of a war in which his country is engaged, ought he to stand out of it? Question mark. Is the professional arms lawful arms? Ought we to join the territorials? Does it make any difference that we are not asked to fight for our own advantage, but to protect others? It would take us too far from our subject to attempt a final answer to such questions, but some considerations may be advanced. No one may submit his conscience unreservedly to the guidance of another. He may be justified in thinking that his natural leaders are more likely to be right than he is. But if he comes to the final decision that they are wrong, he cannot shelter himself under the plea of obedience or of compulsion. Further, in so far as the horrors of the war are horrors of pain, he must remember that in modern times such pain is the most extreme that can be devised and that to take any responsibility for inflicting it is a step of extraordinary gravity. But he must also remember that to a Christian pain is not the worst of evils. If he really believes that the avoidance of war will do more harm in the long run than the war itself, then there is a case for approving it. 
nor must harm be measured merely by pain as opposed to pleasure, but also by the criterion of justice and civilization. Such pleas may be misused. That has never been so plain as to as it is today. But it would be difficult to condemn the armed resistance of Europe to the invading hosts of the Tartars and Huns, or to imagine that it could ever be our duty to allow Christian civilization to be swept away. The man of peace will hate war, not only or chiefly because of the pain it causes, but because it is the expression and the fruitful cause of sin. Such hatred of war together with a fixed determination to have nothing to do with the unjust war is the best security for peace. Something has been gained for peace when statesmen have to realize that they must be sure of their people's approval before plunging into war and when hatred of war has become something deeper than hatred of its material consequences. Very interesting this. The Lord wants me to read it. But a Christian must also consider the problem of the personal quarrels that subjects falls chiefly to be dealt with under the heading of long-suffering for the initiation of a quarrel seems at first sight to be obviously impossible for the follower of our Lord. So indeed it is, but the sincerest disciple may find himself in a position when he must say or do something which is only too likely to cause a breach of the peace. If possible, says Paul, so far as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We may have to protest against wrongdoing or oppression or bullying in spite of a moral certainty that we will give offence and perhaps start a quarrel to which no end can be seen, especially is this the case when anyone is in a position of authority that would be a weak ruler who never intervened to stop what was wrong, lest bitterness might be aroused. But it does not follow that it is always our duty everywhere to protest against every wrong. We have to look to the general result of our action in the particular instance and to remember that the safest principle on which to answer the question what ought I to do is the Kantian one of the universalization of our action in other words of asking what would be the result if everyone acted on the principles on which I now propose to act. The ultimate moral good of mankind is crucial in the questioning in every moral decision. We need not force a quarrel whenever we see one wrongdoing. Just as a wise mother will not reprove her child every time he commits some petty offence, but her object in refraining from this is not merely to avoid a scene, but to avoid spoiling the temper of the child. So in all personal relations, while we must not follow the maxim of peace at any price, 
neither must we be always ready to risk strife for any reason. We have a responsibility for our neighbor, but we shall best discharge it in the atmosphere of peace. But it is probable that in the epistle Paul is thinking chiefly of peace with God and peace within ourselves. The former is the more important and it is by no means synonymous with the latter. The fact that a man can truly say, I feel at peace within myself, is no security that he has really made his peace with God, nor is the absence of such feeling a token of God's hostility. The divine righteousness implies a breach between God and the sinner, which cannot be closed by any action of the sinner, still less by any mere feeling. It needs an act of God. It is an objective thing. What matters not primarily whether I feel at peace with God, but whether God is at peace with me. My feeling of peace has its importance only in so far as I can rightly trust that it is grounded in reality. On the divine side, the making of peace is the granting of forgiveness. God never ceases to love the sinner, but he is not at peace with the unforgiven sinner. It is not the sin only, but the sinner that is under his displeasure. It is a crowning mercy of God's dispensation of grace through his church that we are not left in the dark about his disposition toward the particular individual sinner who desires to know whether there is peace between himself and God. On definite conditions God will so declare his pardon that there is no serious ground left for doubt on the subject. He must believe in God's character as revealed in the gospel. He must be sorry for his sin then because this is too serious a matter for any indecision or indefiniteness. Provision is made for him to bring his penitence to a head by confession of sin in a clear and ambiguous form before the accredited witness, then he may expect the sentence of absolution and be confident that it is ratified in heaven. The confessional is not knave-proof. A man make, may make a false confession and deceive the church if he thinks it is worthwhile to do so, but he can hardly deceive himself so completely as to suppose that he has had a valid absolution. <coughs> Excuse me. When in fact he has made a mockery of it by definite impenitence, he may no doubt exaggerate the quality of his repentance and think it much more perfect than it is. But if we are right in believing that God is always longing to forgive, we cannot suppose he will finally reject a confession which possesses any degree of sincerity. To be at peace with God means then, in the first place, that our sins are actually and objectively forgiven. Without this forgiveness, 
there can be no peace. But that is not to say that mere forgiveness exhausts the meaning of peace with God. That peace is an alliance, not a mere truce. Having been forgiven, we are open to receive the stream of grace, and grace brings both light and life. By the light of grace, we are enabled to discern God's purposes, and by its life, to work in harmony with them. Peace with God is not a static and negative condition of escape from wrath, but a release of the soul from hindrances which would waste and dissipate its activities. When God is in work in our, at work in us and through us, He calms those cross currents which cancel out our energies and spoil our effectiveness. The God-filled soul is a food too full for sound or foam. Varying the metaphor, we may say that the soul which is at peace with God runs sweetly, like a machine that has been cleaned and oiled, and for that very reason can develop power. To have our aim identified with that of God and to have God's power at work within us is the ideal combination of peace, energy and effectiveness. Do you know this prayer by Mr. Roche? I ask not for repose and idleness, but for the active, arduous peace and poise and balance in a disordered world. Such peace may well involve strife, friction and disturbances in our relation with others, so long as the purposes of God and of the world are at issue or even imperfectly harmonized, we cannot avoid this and we may not purchase peace with man at the cost of peace with God, nor indeed can we do so, for where there is no sense of overruling purpose, man is incurably quarrelsome and an ungodly peace is always an unstoppable one. So I feel I've come to the end of what the Lord wanted me to tell you on that. <laughs> I think that what the Lord wants from us is that we need to be at peace with one another. We mustn't let these uh, people lead us to war. We must stand up for love and peace, joy. The stuff that's been going on is all falsities and lies leading us to war. And the Lord is about truth and love. And I think there's probably some questions that are going on in people's heads because I know that a lot of governments are going to bring women in to fight in wars because women are seen the same as men. We, we're genderless now, supposedly. The world has become very wicked, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom is from the name sodomy, word sodomy. And so this is uh, what we're to expect. So if you're asking questions like, oh, you know, is it good to go to war? No, it isn't. Um, because war comes from the evil one, hatred, and it causes strife and unhappiness. 
in people's lives. So we have to support what the Lord wants, and that is worship and praise. It reminds me of that story of Daniel. You know, in the book of Daniel, he would go and pray in his room at specific times. And there were some wicked uh, men that worked for the king and they were jealous of Daniel because he was very intelligent and able to decipher the words of God. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he got along really well with the king at the time. And these men schemed and plotted that the king would sign this order that no one was allowed to worship, but only to, you know, um, they weren't allowed to go and worship our God. And he was deceived into signing this document. And then um, Daniel was found praying. And he was uh, then thrown into the lion's den. I'm sure you've, everyone's heard of that story. And, and obviously the king really liked da uh, Daniel. And Daniel really liked the king. And the king said to Daniel, May the Lord your God be with you. And so the next morning, the king was so worried and he came looking for Daniel and he was okay. And Daniel said, Yes, my Lord was with me. And so it was so amazing. And then uh, these horrible men were thrown in the lion's den. <laughs> you see, this is the kind of thing that the Lord does. All the wickedness that wicked people plan to do to you, God does to them. So you have to trust in the Lord because He's so merciful and loving. Everything is according to His will and His word. And we all need to be unified. We have to be ready. We have to read why. We have to read the ghost spell, the words. On the Bible, in the Bible, we have to understand the words. We have to make those words come alive inside us because that is Jesus, because He is the truth and He is the Word. And that's how He comes alive inside you by you living the words, by reading them, understanding them, and getting joy from them, becoming unified with them and Christ. This is important, I believe. And this is probably why we're all under attack, because the more you read the Word, the more you come closer to God. I know that when I first started to study the Bible, I was under attack, and uh, I was, you know, just had so many phone calls and hassles and stuff, and so I had to pray to God to give me some peace so I could get on with reading the Bible, you know. So you might have to do this as well, you know, before you start reading, it's important to pray that the Lord will give you peace and that he will keep all of the nuisances away from you because there's always going to be a phone call or the washing machine suddenly needs doing or there's a delivery or whatever else, yeah. And um, sometimes it can be difficult to make the time to spend with the Lord. But it is a, it's, I think it's quite amazing. Well, I think it's very amazing that we can have a one-to-one -one relationship with the Lord, our Christ, our Jesus, our Saviour, our, our wonderful God in the flesh, 
who's alive inside us together. It's important to go through all of the things that you might have unfinished inside your heart and check if there's any unforgiveness. Yeah, be ready. And he means it, I believe. I don't think we've got very long, guys, okay? Um, I really don't. And I think we've got more trials to go as well. Um, and I think they're going to get worse. Um, <laughs> but I know that the Lord will provide, as he always does. There's always a solution. And so we have to trust in him in that way. I'm going to close now with the sinner's prayer. <laughs> I thank you all for listening. Uh, it's Aisha from God FM. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Amazon, Samsung, Chrome, Rumble, um, BitChute, Telegram, God FM News, God FM Media, God FM Sermons, and God FM Bible School, and God's School Homeschool Network as well on Telegram. You can also email me admin at godfm.org.uk. I don't claim to be anything special, just a child of God. And, uh, and I love you all. I hope that this has helped you and that you must know that the Lord walks with you wherever you go because he is called I am. And so when you say I am going to the shop, it means that God's with you because he's I am. And AI is the opposite to God. So if you're having problems with tech, it's because it's opposite to God. Okay. Uh, it's artificial intelligence. It doesn't have its own intelligence because it's not real. Yeah. So therefore, it's from the darkness. So you will have problems with devices, technology, internet, all sorts of stuff. And this is where you'll get gang stalked and all sorts of horrible stuff like this can happen. All through technology. Okay. So just remember who you are. We're appointed and anointed by the Lord himself for these very days. If you are a child of God listening to me today, there is no accidents. I want you to know that God has got you in the palms of his hand and he will never ever let you go. And he will always love you, no matter what you do, as long as you seek him and repent if you've done wrong. Yes, we've got to seek to please God above everybody. Put God as number one because he is everything. Without him, we are nothing. And it is for this reason that we have life, that Jesus came here and died on the cross for our sins. Let me close on this then. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that you came to earth and died on the cross for my sins. I know that I'm a sinner and I beg forgiveness for my sins. I wish to follow you. I know you are the Son of God. I know you shed your blood for me. I thank you for that for giving me life. And with this, I have authority over the dead as I am part of the living God. And I cast out all demons, hexes, curses, witchcraft, Satan and his cronies in the name of Jesus. I cast them all out of my home, my life, my business, my internet, anywhere I go, out of my vehicles, out of my pets, out of my family. I command you out. You have no authority in my life. I am part of the living God. And I have been saved by the blood of Jesus. 
So I cast out all demons, hexes, curses, witchcraft, Satan, and his cronies. You don't have any authority. Get out. In the name of Jesus. And if my family have followed pagans, witchcraft, Satanism, Freemasons, or tarot readers, Ouija boards, or pagan festivals in any shape or form, if we've done anything like this to annoy you, Lord, please forgive us and break those chains of any generational curses on me and my family. I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, for loving a wretch like me. I pray you will give me the spirit of wisdom and knowledge to navigate this world and to help others find the light of Jesus, that I might shine the light of Christ for others also to find Christ and that all the demons will be petrified and flee and they will know that I am a child of God and they will know the power of the Lord through any attack that they put on me my family, or anyone. I pray over all my brothers and sisters the same prayer. For all my brothers and sisters in Christ, that you will bless them financially, that they will have enough funds to pay their bills and have a roof over their head. And if they have a job, that you'll give them favor with their employers for promotion, that no unkindness will be pushed, pushed towards them and no wicked tongue will succeed against them. Let the Lord of righteousness prevail and the truth succeed in everything. Through you, I pray, in the name of Jesus. I pray over your pets and over your health as well, that uh, the Lord will make us all well. There will be no illness because the Satan is so ill from the soil which he eats and we return to. So illness is from Satan. I cast that out too. And any diseases, and the Lord tells us no harm will come upon us if we're children of God. Must we, we must believe this, and I believe it. And I thank you, Lord, for loving a wretch like me. I hope you're having a lovely day in heaven. Say hi to everyone. Love you. Thank you, Christ, for saving me from all my enemies for protecting me. I trust you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. It's Aisha from God FM. I hope you have a lovely day. God bless you all.